This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron as a tabletop RPG setting. I'm one of your hosts, Christian Serrano. I'm Keith Baker. And I'm Wayne Chang. Welcome back, everyone. I know it's yes. been a little bit of a little while, hasn't it? Uh, well, specifically to you, Wayne. Welcome yes, back. that is true. Yeah. Yes, several. yes. <laughs> well, you know, I've been uh, I've been trapped down in the basement working on exploring Eberron, so you know. Right. That's what Rain has been. He's been busy keeping yeah. you on task, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I tried to I tried to get away for a couple months there, but now we're back tried. on track. Tried and failed. It's, it's funny because like whenever <laughs> whenever you pop, we pop on. Everybody's like, "Well, when's the next manifest zone coming?" Yeah, and we're yeah. like, um, "Yeah, now." Well, and to be fair, and you know, we won't dwell on this too long, but I think we've all been a little bit busy, uh, you know, for obvious reasons, um, and uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Busy? Right. No, no, nothing going on. No. So, uh, in this episode, we are exploring the culture of the Korovar and what it means to be a half elf in Corvair. But we're going to talk about some distinctions about half elf versus Korovar as we get into the episode. Um, starting off, we typically do readings. Uh, there was an article on Dragon Shards, and the archives are back up, by the way. Woohoo! Yeah. Thank you, Watsi. Uh, yeah. So there is an article in the Corvar, Half Elves of Corvair, um, that goes into some uh, detail. I think that was like one of the larger, the first larger introductions to Half Elves and Corvar mm-hmm. in particular. Um, and that was that was by you, Keith, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You did most of those, so I don't even know why I asked. I think you did all of them. So. Uh, the, the dragon marks were all me. Yes, that is true. Yeah. And uh, and then you get have, with the program. I know. I know. I, I don't know what's Strangely, I wrote all the articles on my website, too, in case you were curious. Right. So there's also Dragon Marked, for obvious reasons, because mm-hmm. we have House Madani and House Lorander, which we'll get into. And uh, Player's Guide to Eberron, because ha- I don't know why we've never mentioned that before, by the way. they It's like everything we've talked about has a thing in Player's Guide to Eberron. Yeah, and, but they're, it's and they're pretty short. You know, I mean, the Player's yeah. Guide to Eberron, it's largely actually sort of a distilled version of the dragon shard article Mm -hmm. uh so you know if you're if you're reading that you're actually getting a little more but it is still the case that the player's guide to eberron has has a little bit of information about a lot of things indeed indeed so keith let's talk about uh and wayne (laughs) wayne you're here i'm still here i'm still still here wow All right. Uh, so let's talk about where half elves came from because you know we talk about the Korovar as a distinct race, and how is that different from other settings where we have half elves that are the you know so, product of human and elf parents? Yeah, in in a lot, especially when Eberron came out, uh, it was sort of the the common trope of the half elf was that they were outcasts. That, you know, you're the loner, you know, who's, uh, who came from this weird mixing and, and you're, there's few in number and they're isolated. And in creating Eberron in the first place, we made the decision that no, you know, let's have half elves be a true breeding race. Uh, you know, we gave them two of the dragon marked houses. Uh, and that basically we wanted to look at them, you know, in a different way and say that they are a real presence in the world. Um, now, looking to that, where did they come from? Uh, the idea is that the elves of Arenal are a very insular culture. Uh, they don't have a lot of interest in, um, you know, the rest of the world. But following the destruction of the Line of Vault, 
which was also uh, after the Mark of Shadow had appeared, uh, the elves bearing the Mark of Shadows left uh, Arenal and a number of other elven lines also just basically were so shooken up by the Civil War, you know, the destruction of the line of Vol that they left. They said, we don't want anything to do with this. We don't know what's going to happen next. Some of those were lines that had directly supported Vol, uh, and the main core of that is in the Lazar Principalities, where they still have the traditions of the Bloodsail Principality. Uh, but the idea is there were others who just, you know, didn't approve of what had happened. So they show up, and one of the things we've suggested is that they married into a bunch of guilds and uh, families, essentially assuming, well, we're going to outlive these humans, and then we inherit you know, will sort of essentially basically take root and take over some existing stuff by just outliving our spouses. Uh, and that they didn't actually expect to have children. They didn't think that was a viable, biologically viable option. And then, boom, we get half-elves. Um, and... The main idea is that humans were already – the humans who, who married the elves were already like, ooh, they're weird, they're magical, they're fey, they're cool. And now we have these kids who are at least sort of magical and fey and cool. That's awesome. Uh, whereas meanwhile, the elves were like, ooh, oh my goodness, this is a bizarre half-elf, you know, literally. Mm -hmm. um, and – in part, you can just look to this purely stat-wise. One of the creepy things is the fact that a half-elf only lives by 5th edition rules to about 120, 180, somewhere in there, which is a fraction of, uh, of the elven lifespan. And it's sort of like if you imagine if you had a kid and you knew that that kid was going to die when they were 20. It's just weird. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and plus, the elves had such a strong tradition of ancestor worship, of pride in their past, of, you know, the whole principle of, again, I'm going to spend 100 years studying this one thing, that all of that, they were just basically shocked and disturbed by these offspring that aren't elves, you know, and... Uh, so what we've said is the idea is that actually many of the elves at that point pulled back and said, forget it. We're getting divorced. We're, we're going to we're going to move back and just live with other elves. We don't really want, you know, to be involved and largely abandoned uh, the half elf children at that point. Uh, since I've just gone blah for a while, any other of you, anything to add? Yeah. So, you know, I'm thinking about the age of half elves and this was something that we touched on when we talked about elves, uh, in that episode and in, in with regards to that long lifespan, you know, elves, uh, using that time to be perfectionists, right. And to, to adhere to that tradition and humans having such a short life lifespan being something, you know, just like an artificer is like, you know, a junkyard mechanic <laughs> to an elf. Um, where do we see, half elves of Korvar in particular viewing things are they somewhere in between do they lean more toward one way versus the other or is it more about individual sort of outlook uh so i would say a couple different points on that first actually talking about that short lifespan you know now i think about it sort of an analogy to the elves showing up is the elf marrying the human at first is almost like i'm just getting a dog 
and it's going to keep me company for <laughs> wow. 10 to 20 years, and then it's going to die. You know, oh my God. maybe I'll get another dog. Uh, but then you don't expect to actually have a litter of puppies. You With know, the dog. Like, that's just not supposed to happen. So, so that's sort of putting that there. And part of it is that idea of because I could spend 10 years studying something, but that's the whole lifespan of my dog, you know? Yeah. Um, and in general, what we have said is that the elves of Corvair are not quite as obsessive in that same way as the elves of Arenal, because they're in the middle of human civilization. Mm -hmm. It's hard to spend a hundred years perfecting your pronunciation of your uh, incantations when the human students are graduating in four years, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and so we've already sort of said that, that the elves of Corvair kind of seg more into to human speed. So I would expect the same of the Korovar. Um, now, I still think the fact is, essentially, Korovar live a little, uh, you know, about twice as long as humans do. Mm -hmm. And so it is certainly longer, and it is certainly significant, but it's not quite as dramatic as, as the difference between humans and elves. Mm -hmm. And so I do think they're more willing to, to think about long-term investments and such. But like I said, I don't think it, it has quite as dramatic an impact. And what we've said is they do mature at the same mental rate as humans. Right, right. I think one of the things that when – I mean, just going back to D&D in, in mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. 3.5 edition, mm -hmm. half-elves uh, – and this is completely anecdotal. There's, I don't sure, have sure. Any back, anything back up to, to back this up on, in terms of the yeah. rules. But the half elves were sort of the they were left out. They were, you didn't have a lot of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. With mm -hmm. with being a half elf, like it wasn't like you had a lot of cool powers. You didn't have your uh, plus two plus two to to um, to dex minus two con that, that the elves had. Sort of anybody if you'd ever played. Third edition, obviously, I've been going. That's a big head. deal. <laughs> but um, these these kind of things. So you really had an elf. Um, sorry, you had a human that didn't have all the human traits either. Like you didn't have your free feet, an extra right, feet, right. or other things. So you really had this point where half elves were were mechanically not as interesting. Mm -hmm. That didn't keep people from playing them though. So right. it wasn't like you said – you usually had someone who was like, I want to be a half-elf, and they liked that story background. So there was always the the mixed race, the um, you know child of two worlds, um, but home and, home and none sort of thing. I, I really felt that a lot with, with a lot of players and a lot of DMs when they played it. Now you shift us into to Eberron where – you are no you you no longer have it's not that you no longer have that but the majority of your kin and it's not few of them like let's let's put it into perspective there's a lot of Korovar. there's oh, a yeah. lot of yeah, half elves yeah. it's it you're talking about a race that yes originally was a surprise yes originally when you know when the elves had their exodus you know, some of the exodus um from from Arenal, it, yeah they were surprised then but we're talking thousands of years later, and this is a race that has continued to grow and evolve, and while it has sort of made their mark on mm -hmm. society, mm -hmm. um, you know, and is and it's one of and and I think sort of bringing it is that you know we we we're using the term for those who don't 
who don't uh, maybe play as much Ebron, we're, we're, we're saying Korovar, like, which is literally right. the, the name of the race. It's not half anything at this point, really. Right. And, and I think that's a good point. So let's, let's jump into that for a moment, uh, which is – and you know that was part of the idea, again, from the original design is half-elves don't have a real strong story. Let's give half-elves a story. Uh, and part of that was the idea that once we said uh, that half-elves are a true breeding race, and what that means is if two half-elves have children, they will always be half-elves. Half-elves do not produce, you know, humans 50% of the time or anything like that. Two half-elves will produce a half-elf. If a half-elf uh, has offspring with a human, it's 50-50 as to whether it will be Korovar or human. Uh, if they have a child with an elf, it will be a Korovar. Um, and so basically, the main point is there's lots of ways to produce them. And again, if they uh, are, stay among themselves, they produce their own kind, uh, which allows them to have communities, to have, you know, sort of larger groups. Um, this is where we, we said that over time, as they realized this, as they started to spread, that they created this identity for themselves where they said, we're not half anything. Uh, we are basically, you know, humans come from Sarlona. Elves come from Arenal. We are the children of Corvair. You know, we are the people who this is our land. Uh, and thus, we are the Corvair, which means children of Corvair. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The critical point to this, which we'll come to later when we get to players, is this doesn't stop you from saying, no, my mom was an elf from Arenal and my dad was a soldier and I'm a half-elf. You could do that. But the point is there are strongly established the half-elves have a presence as a race. Now, the catch is what they don't have and have never had is a nation. Mm-hmm. You know that there's never been a half-elf nation. They were born into the existing five nations. Uh, what they do have are dragon-marked houses. And uh, they have House Blirindar and House Madani. Now, the important thing to bear in mind with that is that they didn't appear at the same time and they didn't appear at the same place. So it's not like, oh, they just randomly popped up and one of you was Storm and one of you was uh, was a detection. Uh, Leorindar appeared in Thrain and Madani appeared much later in uh, Brayland, or not much later, uh, and that they are culturally quite different, but in both cases became very much a pillar, you know, a sort of foundation to give identity to the Korovar of those regions, because this is a power that they have, a gift only they uh, they have, and something that that ident- you know gives them this identity as a race, uh, and not just sort of intermingled among the population. And this is kind of an interesting thing because traditionally, what we've always said with Eberron is that nationality means more than race. That Uh the dwarf from uh, Thrain cares more about being a Thrain than they do about feeling a kinship to the Murrholds or something like that. 
with the Korvar, that is definitely there. A Braylish Korvar is loyal to Brayland, but they also feel a sense of connection to the Korvar because they are this people, you know, people without a nation uh, in a way, and that that's created a sort of bond between them. Yeah, I find it fascinating fascinating how, um, you know, the story of the dragon-marked houses and that because Korvar started sort of, uh, you know, collecting together and, and isolating themselves, mm-hmm. um, that allowed for those dragon marks to propagate right. more rapidly, right? And then to really build up that house, which I think mm-hmm. is, it's, mm-hmm. that's, that's a fascinating thing to me. Um, and that's where their strength lied. It was, it was in building up that, that, um, that community of kinship. And this is basically where, with the the half elves overall, you have these different approaches. Uh, one of them, you know, the Lirandar approach, and we'll get more to that in a moment, is to be more isolated, to try and basically create a racial identity, to say that we need to build on that, we need to focus on ourselves, uh, and that that then you know makes more half elves, and you go from there. Uh, On the other hand, what we have said is that there are also a lot of half-elves, somewhat Madani, but also beyond that, uh, who basically say, but we're a bridge between people. We ourselves were created by this connection between two very different cultures and races, uh, and that we should help connect uh, other peoples. And that ties to the half-elf gift for both language, you know, all half-elves have an extra language, and charisma. That it's sort of saying that they value the idea of communication, socialization, the b- creating bonds between people. Mm-hmm. And we'll come back to, to that, but that's just sort of something to bear in mind. It also, we haven't really talked about it, but I, you know, and when I say we, I mean literally in Eberron, it is not talked about much that I know. Uh, but in my opinion, Lirindar, I not Lirindar, Undare, actually has a reasonable number of half elves among their noble families because at some point it was fashionable. Mm. Uh, and it was cool. And of course, they're still very, those are blended families. So I don't think there is a half elf sort of line. But I would say Andare in particular is where you have more half elves in actually significant positions in society. Uh, oh, that's because, interesting. Yeah. Uh, but that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, I was going to say, we could probably spend a whole episode on that idea. Yeah. So, um, good. Uh, Wayne, did you have Yeah, something? Wayne. Mm. Nothing in specific. I mean, if I think in in most D and D games, I'm not going to uh, point specifically at D and D. Like yep. at most D and D games, um, half elves seem to sort of fall into the background. Yep. Um, and even the you know even the very very seldom or or you know and people have thought the boring dwarves of of Eberron <clears throat> have more. Have more presence sometimes because the the uh, the half elves sort of do fall into the background, mm-hmm. sort of blend in with society, with a human centric society. Right. Obviously, uh, we're talking about here, um, and what we're really trying to do in this episode is just sort of bring some of that out. Now, obviously, if you're listening, you probably know some of this already, but for some of, maybe some of the, the newer listeners or someone who don't, doesn't understand, that's what we're trying to explain: is that <clears throat> as a racial identity, it, 
very uniquely in Eberron and, and maybe other settings, that, mm-hmm. um, but oh, sure, you know, yeah, it's official yeah, settings. Sure. But yep. this is this is a race that has um, is not supposed to be really in the background. Right. Yes, you are used to them because there are actually so many of them. They are not they are not from a pairing of elf and human this many generations down. Right. Um, they're they're here and they're they're here to stay and they are they are a part of the fabric of society. But I think one of the things that has maybe kept that, and we obviously we taught we we mentioned this, is that they don't have their own kingdom. Yet. There's no half elf king. Yeah, yes, okay. right. Wait till the <laughs> we're, next one. We're, we're moving Eberron <laughs> forward. Yeah, um, um, yeah. They don't have their own kingdom yet, and I think that places them in a very a very unique situation. But also, um, sort of gives. There's no place. There's nowhere you can point to and be like, "That's half half elf central," and um, as Keith just mentioned, you know, maybe Undare is one of the places. Yep. But because they are the children of Corvair, they are very, very widespread. And seeing one and calling them a half elf, you know, if, if you know, as a trying to kind of get in, getting into the setting and getting um, your brain wrapped around the setting, is that. You you wouldn't go up to some half elf like hey and you're say, half hey, elf. Hey, you're half elf. You'd say you, you're you a wouldn't say that. You, right, you, right. You, you're Corvar. Like that's right. that is the name of the race, right? Yeah. Like, well, yeah, and, and and to dovetail off of that, I think you're right. It's like there's they're they're commonplace to where they're they're not like this like unique, mysterious, you know, rare thing. So they're they're everywhere, as you said. But at the same time, I I, I do think that the Eberron campaign books may have done a disservice where. Other RPGs might have done something where mm-hmm. instead of calling them half elf, they should have just labeled them Koravar. For sure. No, you I know. agree. I mean, I think, again, part of the point was that Eberron, when it first came out, mm-hmm. was still. I mean, I think there's two uh, aspects to it is I might have, uh, in all honesty, I'd have to double check, I might have coined the term Koravar in that Dragon Shard article. Mm because my i think my feeling was that looking at them as presented in the Eberron campaign setting if they were that common if they were uh as grounded as they are and I'll come back to that in a moment they should have a different identity they shouldn't call themselves half elves right. but i have a suspicion if we check that carvar was something i coined in that dragon shard for exactly that reason uh, so I think it was just at the time it was like, oh, let's just give half elves something more without fully thinking through. But what does that mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Now, what I will jump on. Wait, I'm just, gonna, just I just want to pause and say I find it hilarious that you've written so much about Eberron that you can't remember. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, it's hard because, again, you know, part of it is is uh, drawing back to our previous episode that we had. It is the case that. Uh, the Eberron campaign setting was something that Bill, James, Chris, I all built up together. And there are still to this day, like, no one can agree on who came up with dinosaurs riding halflings. Right. right. Uh, and because we were all working on it, and we were all excited. And so I'm just doing a quick check because I'm curious. I yeah. have the... the I just... um, the ECS open yep. here. Yeah, I just and, looked yeah. and yep. uh, no mention of Corvar. So, so exactly. Yeah. So that's the point is it is in fact the case that I coined that term because I said they ought to. 
And that's how cool identity. you are, Keith. And yeah. and I also, of course, it's like you made the setting up. So there we go. Yeah. Uh, but part of the point is they don't have a nation. And I said, except uh, because they're certainly working on it in Valinor. Mm-hmm. And we'll come to that in a bit. But that comes to what they do have is dragon-marked houses. Right. And they have one of the most important, which is House Lirandar. House Lirandar has always been uh, basically masters of, of sea travel. You know, they've always had the fastest ships. If you can control the winds, you know, that's going to help you. Uh, and now they're even more important with air travel. They are the heart of uh, the air travel industry. And what has always been said by the book is that you can't fly an airship without a Lirandar pass- uh, pilot, or at least you can't reliably, safely do it. Uh, and so they're a little bit, you know, on the verge of basically being the shipping guild from Dune. You know, that they are in a position where they're, they're in, their power is growing. And then you add to that the idea that they also have the Rain, Collar, Rain Collars Guild that controls the weather. And that can, you know, guarantee a good harvest or, or conversely, uh, it would be so terrible if you had a drought, you know, and something were to happen to you. <laughs> Right, And so all of those things together are this idea that the people who have the mark of storm, they feel like we control the wind and the water. You know, we don't have a nation, perhaps, but we have this power, uh, you know, that this gift that people should show some respect for, essentially. Um, what has been said is that Lirandar, because of that, was basically, from the start, basically a little more proud, a little more, uh, we, you know, people should uh, acknowledge us. We should work to acknowledge ourselves, to to embrace our core of our identity, and not just be in the background, and not just mingle in. Uh, for this reason, um, the founders of the house, you know, Liren among them, uh, are actually called within Lirandar, they're called the firstborn because they are essentially said to be the first true Korovar, even though, of course, it was many generations of half-elves later. Mm-hmm. But they still basically say this was the moment when we became a race, was them traveling around uh, basically trying to rally right. the, as the half-elves as yeah. an identity to encourage half-elves to actually marry other half-elves, mm-hmm. uh, to build community. And part of the idea is even a lot of half-elves who don't have the dragon mark and aren't necessarily even blood-tied to the house still identify themselves. They'll work on Lirandar ships. They'll, you know, they'll work for the businesses. You know, they take pride in Lirandar as sort of, this is my nation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, as nations go, it's one of the more powerful ones, you know. Right. That then also goes to the fact that Lirandar uh, has a lot of influence in Valinor. That the Valinar, the Terranidal elves don't give a damn about running a country. They're here to fight. And thus, the, the half-elves sort of showed up and said, you know, we could run this country for you. <laughs> and they're like, great. You go to all the cabinet meetings. I'll be off killing some goblins. Uh, and because of that, 
there are certainly those among Lirindar who essentially look at it as that they are the rulers of Valinor and that the Terranidal are sort of, they're building an elven army, as it were. That's not necessarily strictly true at this point, and it's questionable really how much influence Lirindar has over the Terranidal. It's not like they can change their agenda, but it is still the case that Valinor is a place where Corvair can go and get influential positions. And that that is is a growing thing. I think one of the things about Lir- um so I don't call it Lirandar. I call it Lirander. I don't. That's fine. <laughs> that's a, that's an acceptable We're, pronunciation. I know this is not going to set off Keith's phone, so that that's another thing. But uh, yeah, yeah. One of the things about this this house, specifically this house, it, it's the cool house. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's the, oh, yeah. it's no, the, no it's question. the cool it's the cool Dragonmark house. It's the one that controls the wind and the waves. It is, they have the most external facing powers. It's not like, I'm Kenneth. I can build this Warforged and I can build this weapon. It's no, I, I can throw wind at you. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's not what exactly you're affecting meant, but, the natural you know, world. Right? Um, it, it's the most, there's the most flashy. They're the most, um, they're the most sort of flamboyant. And um, they sort of know thing. it. And, oh, and, yeah. yeah. And the thing is, they know it. Their powers have to do with. I control a sailing ship or I control an airship. Like this is not – these aren't like small little powers. This is not driving a train. And basically let's, – let's, let's, let's put it honestly. I mean every campaign has you either um, fighting in a lightning – fighting on a lightning rail, on an airship or on a ship. I mean – Yes, I mean you've you've got the you've got the cool backdrops, <laughs> you're gonna, and fifty percent of the time it's on fire. <laughs> yeah, ex- right. exactly. Well, you have to. I mean, that's adventures. You're supposed to set or on the fire. the bridge is out. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. Anyhow. But this is the house that's that's right, right. is is purely you know is is purely the showy house. It's the house that we don't say we're entertainers. You you know, Mark of Shadow. Right. We are the we, we've got we, we've got it in spades. You know. Everybody thinks that we're a cool sort of thing, and that's a. That, I think that's that's one of the things that um, really encompasses the the identity of the house. Like you were mentioning, is that you know they want to be leaders, right. they want to be nation not not nation builders, but they want to be they want to be seen as <clears throat> they want to be seen as you know we are this is who we are. You know, we are something to be reckoned with. Right. We are something you should notice. You know, we're not just, as you said, in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and and they def- they, I mean, obviously with Stormhome, they really defy that sort of you can't own land sort oh, yeah. of thing, and that's always one of those, huh? How did that come about, and why would yeah. they want to do that, and why would they want to flaunt the rules that keeps people from being like, no, we're going to shut you all down. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Galifar's not around anymore, but like, what are we going to do about that? And right, and we—that's uh, you know, I don't think I've—I could be wrong, but I don't think I've ever seen someone play uh, a Lander. Uh, um, you know, captain I'm, I'm or whatever. You. That's that's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm the bookworm. You know, yeah. I've got the mark of. Now, I've got the mark, and uh, I'm going to act like a civis gnome sort of thing. Now, uh, one thing I will say: some people might be like, yeah, but the march isn't that exciting. Uh, this is certainly one of the cases where what we say is the powers that the mark grants as a race are very much. This is just the simplest level of what you can get from it uh i often like uh, i've i've been in many campaigns where people have made storm sorcerers that are dragon marked uh Korvar, and that the whole idea is i am a storm sorcerer because this is the power of my mark mm-hmm. 
Uh, and again, that, you know, you may say, well, they can't throw lightning. And I'm saying, well, some of them can, <laughs> you know, that it's, it's, uh, that that kind of power is a power that does exist within the house, even if the base mark doesn't grant it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, of course, also just doesn't even touch the whole idea of dragon marked focus items and things like that that yeah, harness we, the marks for more dramatic effects. Yeah. I still, I mean, I know we've talked about this already, even on the dragon marked houses episode, but, people see the 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 feats or the edges of the, the abilities and they're like oh i get that power or that spell it's like no you get a lot more than that <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> you know? this is this is the 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 least of right. the abilities that you possess right now uh, i did well real quick i did want to touch on wayne's point about you know um you know we joked about kingdoms and we joked about uh we're not joking but we wayne mentioned about um owning land and like who's you know there's nobody in place to check the dragon mark houses for that and that's becoming more and more common it's in that they're they're well and that's very much those boundaries right that's valinor to me is mm-hmm. you can make the argument that okay technically they don't own the land because the elves own it but for all effects and purposes <laughs> right. you know they might as well own the land right so if you project in the future if you were to you know in one's own eberron um it could very well become a situation where, yeah, they do end up having like a nation or owning mm-hmm. more land and, as, as such. So, um, now the thing about that is that's Larandar or Larander, yeah. as you may. They're both both entirely acceptable pronunciations. Uh, so, and there we've said it's very important to them. They want to be noticed. They want to. Uh, they're Korvar and proud. Uh, on the other hand, you have Madani. And Madani is called out from always the beginning, being a little more of a, oh, no, we don't want to be a bother house. That, you know, part of it is because their power isn't flashy. They know stuff. You know, they know things. And that was basically one of the things that is called out in Dragon Marked is the idea that they didn't even sort of reveal their gifts until... uh I can't remember if it was Sivis or Kenneth essentially stumbled onto them and said, wait a second, you've got a dragon mark. And they're like, oh, yeah, my cousin does too, you know, and, <laughs> and that they were just kind of just in Brayland minding their own business. Um, and even now, they basically are one of the less influential dragon marked houses, but in part that's because they don't play the game. That they mm-hmm. are, uh, first off, they're a little more happy to play favorites. You know, it is called out that they worked more closely with Brayland than, uh, than with other nations during the last war. Um, and also, they are very much more inclusive. They're willing to, to accept both humans and elves into the house, even though they can't inherit the mark. Uh, and that it fits a little more to what I was saying before of they're about the we want everyone to get along. We want to, to you know, help bring people together to solve problems. And so part of it is it's just a very different – you've got two very different paths to go. And a lot of Brelish uh, Korva are proud of their ties to Madani and they consider themselves – you know, uh, proud of that heritage, you know, that it does rally the house as well. But Manani isn't trying to build a nation, mm-hmm. you know, and they aren't trying to to stand up and challenge things and, and make people be noticed. They're basically saying, ah, we're we're happy, you know, uh, we we stand together. We care about our friends and that's good enough. 
Uh, so it's just a very different tone to play with. Right. right. I think with that, like really, I don't remember from personal experience um, mm-hmm. running and playing Eberron, especially in third uh, third edition. I think everybody forgets that this house exists. Like, I honestly agree. I, I can't, I, I, you know, I can't. Uh, I, I love to to argue to the reverse, but I have to say, if I'm doing an inquisitive, it's Thrashk. You know, I I have almost never used a Madani character, but there you go. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I know. I've known like one or two in the last fifteen years that like I'm going to play someone from Madani, and you're like. Usually, I know. I remember what Madani does. I don't remember their half elves. Actually, that's that's maybe that's one funny thing. And <laughs> well, you're just because like, they don't make a big deal about it the way Larendar right. does. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's you forget that there's two half elf houses, right? <laughs> and and, you're like and, you get you get your again, count up to eleven. You're like, who's the other one? <laughs> yeah, and again, to me, that's because they're very much about let's all get along and we don't want to be a bother. Yeah. Um, See, I find and, that ironic because, like, I personally, first of all, I love half elves, and I can get into that later on, yeah. but. Um, I also love inquisitive like stories, like especially in sure. Sharn, and uh, and and one of my favorite adventures was Chimes at Midnight, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and it you know it has a it has a they, they play a significant role in that. And is a and, I forget yeah. is a Braxis Ren a, a half elf? He is yes, mm-hmm. yeah, and he, he used to go. be part of House Madani. Yeah, I think yeah. He, see, I think so I mean, as I said, they're out there. You know, it's not yeah. that, it, but I have to agree they haven't really come out much in uh, in my particular campaign. Yeah, yeah. And we've tried to throw in uh, interesting things like the are they the thousand yard stair? I forget what it's called. Yeah, thousand uh, yard stair in uh, Fort Arathon uh, yeah. Keep. And that I was know, that was that specifically that was specifically something where it's like these guys need to have something cooler. You know, let's give them something fun to do. Oh, they could be uh, patrolling. Well, yeah, them. I mean, if you're if you're throwing the two the two half elf houses up against each other, I mean, one's flashy and and b- bigger powers and you know get all the cooler things. But yeah, one of them matches very well. Like like Christian said, matches much better with the darker the 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 noir yep. sort of campaign, the inquisitive right. campaign, um, that investigation side. All, of course, yeah. obviously, that's what they oh, do. No. Um, you know, you, you know the, um, the 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 Lander guy jumps off the jumps off the bridge and catches himself. Yep. The inquisitive the man Madani kind of walks down the street and goes, "Why on earth did you do that? Why did you jump <laughs> off the bridge? Na- you're the did next you see after, the stairs right there? You know." <laughs> uh, so that is the thing: is that it's definitely the case that Madani isn't. Uh, they're just they're quieter. They're mm-hmm. more thoughtful. Mm-hmm. They're. Uh, um, this then goes to the whole idea that you don't have to be part of either of these houses. You know, there are beyond that some broader core of our traditions that are just sort of commonplace across the five nations. That is just part of the general experience of this is this sort of culture that underlies uh, the, you know, your nationality and such. And one of the basic ideas of that was just because they started from a place where they were a people spread across, uh, you know, a people without a nation, uh, that it was very important to them to support one another. And that Korvar, um, speaking of which, you know, I'll, I'll note that uh, Thorna Brayland, the heroine of my Thorn novels, is a Korvar. And it's sort of called out 
that she and her brother grew up in a sort of core of our community in Sharn. Uh, actually, they may have been a Rowett now I'm thinking about it. But um, but nonetheless, the idea is that Korvar uh, basically try and look out for each other. Uh, they have something that we've called out that are called unity dinners, which are just basically this sort of idea of, you know, on certain days, uh, you, you sort of host a meal that any traveling Korvar uh, can join. And where, you know, some of your neighbors will come over and it's a chance for people to first off, just keep track of each other. Everyone okay? You know, help out. Uh, and also to share news. And so that's a general thing that sort of added on uh, into the idea that in playing a half-elf, you potentially, if you choose to embrace this culture, can expect to... Uh, to sort of reach out to other Korovar that you do meet. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was the Dragon Mark, but it might have been uh, Player's, Player's Guide. You know, one of them called out the idea that basically like a Unity Dinner is a great place to get information. And under third, uh, third edition rules, you could get essentially advantage to your gather information check. Mm-hmm. You know, if there was a Unity Dinner you could go to. So it was part of that idea of even from just a player hook that come to a new town, well, hey, it might be a unity dinner tomorrow you can join. Um, now, the flip side of that, of course, is the idea that if you embrace that, then you should expect other people to ask it of you. Um, and there is a thing uh, that was called out in the uh, player's guide where one of the things they even say is half-elves see Korvar adventurers as a source of particular pride and go out of their way to provide such individuals with aid and good wishes. Uh, They expect that their adventuring kin will remember them in turn, and many uh, Korvar adventurers donate portions of their treasure to improve half-elf communities. These individuals become heroes, those who do not share their wealth and gender suspicion and an animosity. And so part of that idea is we're sort of saying hey, if you want to follow tradition and have people think you're great, maybe you should give, you know, give some of your gold to the local, uh, you know, the local folks. Uh, on the other hand, you cannot do that, but then you're a greedy bastard. So it's up to you. <laughs> um, and one of, you know, so anyhow, go on. I, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to draw, draw some, like, some, like just thinking about that community aspect for a sec. I mean, I'm going to switch gears to Dark Sun for a sec. Sure. And uh, for most cities in Dark Sun, there's only a few city states. Um, they have what's called an Elven Quarter. You know, Elvens are consider uh, Elves are considered. You know, these um, they're nomads. They're they're sort of the Elven Quarter is like the you know black market sort of thing. Like the black the Elven market is a black market, and there's always half elves there, and they're considered. They don't obviously they don't have their own society, but they are sort of one step in each world. But in that sort of unity sense of, they can still kind of get in there and, and information brokers and whatnot. Um, I'm 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 kind of stretching this analogy here, but kind of going with it is that they don't have they they've integrated into society as well as they can, sort of one foot into the human centric society, one foot into the, the Elven society. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you kind of come into, when you come back into, to Eberron, um, 
it's almost like these what what would be a, an elven quarter is really it's a half elven community mm-hmm, exactly um, and we don't we don't i don't think in anywhere we specifically call this out mm-hmm. um you know no i think I, you're right yeah and and i think that's one of the things but that, it's the idea for sure yeah i and even like if you think about sharn i mean you think about all these districts and areas and quarters um it's not specifically brought up but like i'm and, sure i'm sure that there's like a half elf district where right. you where you might be one side is no we're half elves don't come in here or we're half elves we welcome everybody but i i, I feel that that's one of the things that um where this community aspect is we're talking about where this 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 elven sorry this half elven this corvar family aspect is not that's really where because you know sharn is right. the most and most thought about like most written about city you know and, and everyone i i feel like that's some something where may, maybe would be missed it would be like no, this would be a great place to really to show that in a very natural way no i completely agree with you uh, I think it's it's a shame that it hasn't come up. And hey, we might just have to rectify that in something we write, uh, because it <laughs> well, is no the case. And I think we're well, not, yeah, not exploring. Uh, I I think that one of the reasons it does it it, it does get overlooked is because it's not uh, as dramatic. They aren't mm-hmm. trying to take over the world. They aren't the Boromar clan. It's just saying that this is a community, you know, a strong community. Uh, I'll say it's interesting that there's actually a spell in Player's Guide that is actually called Unity Wine. That's a spell a uh, cleric can learn that basically is saying, oh, that actually they would bless the wine uh, at dinner and it has this effect. Uh, so, you know, coming back to that. But another thing is what's called out in the Dragon uh, Shard is part of the idea that, again, because of this fact that they do live in two worlds, that they are comfortable with things, and that essentially, coming back to it, their big strength is their charisma. That a lot of Korvar become bards, barristers, diplomats, translators, merchants, uh, basically uh, trades that trade on interaction and communication. And... Uh, that that comes back to the point that even though they don't have uh, physical power, that they do know a lot. You know, if, if the group all gets together, you know, people are coming from these different backgrounds, that they do have uh, information. And the whole point is it's not supposed to be as sordid as, say, the tyrants. It's not that this is something they're doing for profit. Mm-hmm. It's just the community, you know, is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I do think that's something that should be called out. But a, a detail on that that ties to this is, again, something that was introduced in the Dragonmark article, was the idea of Korvar Kant. And this is the idea that they don't speak a unique language, but that they all speak Elvish and common, Mm -hmm. and that over the course of generations, they've essentially evolved their own blend of these two languages that uh, just sort of blends them together in a way that is not impossible for others to understand, uh, but is is a unique uh, dialect to them. It's Spanglish. Essentially. And, and what's <laughs> called out, or, you know, uh, yeah, uh, what's called out is the idea that if you speak both uh, common and elvish, 
Uh, so let's see. Any half elf can understand this dialect perfectly. Uh, and basically, if you know both Elvish and Common, it's pretty easy to translate it. If you only know one of those two languages, it's, it's a little harder. Right. Um, but that just comes back to the idea of the strength of this as a community, that they also just have their own sort of internal uh, dialect that that is part of that. We don't have a nation, but we at least have this sort of language, you know, this thing that binds us together. Yeah. Um, and that's, I, I think that's something that even like real world cultures, you know, you can, you can draw connections to that, you know, peoples who, who are very, um, tightly knit as communities, you know, but they, you know, those, they don't really have like, um, a, a nationality. It's more of a culture. So to no, speak. And, and, you know, one thing that's interesting is this is where you get into cants in the first place of, we all know the concept of thieves can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but literally what Thieves' Cant was about, uh, historically, was just so that thieves had a way to talk to each other where when other people could overhear them, they wouldn't know what they were talking about. Right. They wouldn't realize that they were talking about crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is part of that same idea that sort of ties to what Wayne was just saying earlier, is that two half-elves meet in the market that one of them can basically say, hey, you doing okay? You need any help? Is there trouble? In a way that the people around them won't actually know that that was what they were asking. Right. You know, or if you're dealing with a Corvair merchant that, you know, one could say, oh, come on, can you cut me a deal? Right. You know, I, I really could use some help here. That's really handy for an inquisitive, by the way. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, so that's just part of that idea of, of thinking to them as not just, you know, as basically having something that is theirs. Right. Right. Um, to me, this well, I mean, if you yeah, if on. you think about it, we, when we talk about Eberron, we talk about your nationality and your culture means more means more than your racial your racial birth. Right. But with the Korvar, this is actually the only. It's kind of the, what kind of flips it on its head is that here is where your race means maybe not more, but at least just it's as something. much as where yeah. where you were born. Um, you know, and, you know, obviously we're flipping things on its head and we're talking about, we're talking about a race that originally, like a race, a D&D race that originally, it did not matter at all your race because you can't, you were a child of two worlds, right. two kind of conflicting worlds. Um, so you would try to, you would try to ingratiate yourself into one or the other. I mean, if anybody who's right. read Dragonlance Chronicles and, and Tannis Half-Elf and is like, well, do I be human? Am I trying to be elf? I try to be elf. I can. I'm going to be human. And that's why I grow the beard sort of thing. And now we're talking about a race that is its own, you know, true breeding race. And in a world where everything is about culture and tradition and where you're from, no, we are going back to here's our racial roots sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And and exactly. And so this comes to the main question of how does this impact you as a player? Yeah. And the main point is when you are making a half-elf character, you know, the sort of immediate question is, well, are you a half-elf or are you a Korovar? And this ties to the point of uh, essentially the, the question being – uh, either were both of your parents Korvar or at least one of them 
core of art or are you actually newborn mm-hmm. means you are the child of a human and an elf and you have no relatives or connection to the core of our society. Right. Now, first off, the newborn option is an easy one if you're like, I just don't care about all of that. I don't, I don't want any of that. Uh, then great, you're a newborn. Uh, you don't have it. Now, even as a newborn, you could explore, okay, but what happens when I meet Korvar? Do I try to join that culture? Or do I just remain as an outsider? But basically what we're saying is if you want to be that, I'm a loner with, you know, feet in other worlds, but nothing of my own. You can play a newborn and that's fine. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd like to take a minute just to chime in on this because sure. this is one of the reasons why I love half-elves, not just an Eberron, but in general. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mixed Puerto Rican and Cuban, which can cause problems when you're living, growing up in South Florida. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> but also I'm third generation, like, so I'm very, very, like, Americanized in many ways. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I, I love about half-elves and, and why I personally identify with them is the idea of, um, you know, sort of having one foot in each world. Mm-hmm. But there's also that struggle of, like, you know, you were just talking about with Korovar as, you know, the perspective from a newborn is, like, like not being Korovar enough, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, Absolutely. And so that, and that's a very real thing that, that I think, you know, like I personally would be able to like relate to and be like, I'm not, I'm not Korovar enough, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that's the question is, do you respond to that by trying to totally double down on it? And I'm going to sign up with Lirandar and I'm going to be right. as, as Korovar as you can possibly be. Uh, or is it something that leaves you as an outsider right. and struggling? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the questions uh, we have here that I do think is interesting is it is still the case that uh, – while half-elves don't live as long as uh, elves do, they still mm-hmm. can live almost 200 years, mm-hmm. which raises that possibility of, since it's really up to you how old your character is, uh, how much the last war. Right, yeah. Did you live through? You know, it's possible you were born uh, into Galifar. And that's, yeah, that's a note mm-hmm. that I, I like to think about with any race I'm, you know, particularly in Eberron mm-hmm. that, that we're considering. Uh, we talked about this with dwarves a little bit, especially elves, um, mm-hmm. and and to an extent half elves as well. It's like how or, or gnomes even, mm-hmm. you know, how much of your life, you know, did you live through the last war, mm-hmm. you know, and because that can have there's a lot of stuff that you'll see depending on your age. Yep, and how much you know? How many people did you lose? What right. did you lose? You know. How many changes of power? How many shifts in, al- yep. in allegiances? You know, yep. what did that mean for your allegiances? You know, and and this is just like the newborn versus Korovar. This is a whole point of this is up to you. Mm-hmm. You can just say, "Nah, I'm 20 years old." Right. You know, that's fine. Uh, but these are things you can explore. Uh, similarly, we have the question of: Do you, even if you're not dragon marked? Do you feel a tie or loyalty to a dragon-marked house? Or, again, is that just not not something that you feel a strong attachment Mm -hmm. to? Um, You know, a thing we haven't talked much about, but is still out there, this is more likely for the newborns, but again, you can be Korvar with an elvish parent, is whether you're interested in your elven heritage. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we have said is that to this date... There has never been a elf uh, – a Korvar has never been granted a patron ancestor and has never been accepted into the Undying Court. 
that mm-hmm. the the elves do not believe that the Korovar are sort of suitable uh, bearers of their descendants. But player characters are remarkable. You know, do you want to be the person who's going to break that barrier? Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you do, you know, that's an interesting story. Right. Like maybe there's um, something you've done that, you know, has proven you know, your exactly, worthiness. Or that. that you will do. Right. And, you know, that is the point of, of the elves essentially have been jerks about this, but you could be the person who proves that they're jerks. Because you elves know, are that, jerks. That, yeah. <laughs> yep. Those damn elves. Yep. Um, the the final thing that sort of really ties to me is coming back to that if you're just embracing the I'm Korvar, I'm part of that society, is to stop and think about where's your family based? How large is it? Mm-hmm. You know, what's your ties to your community? I will say in making Thorn as a character, I said, oh, she's got strong ties to a community, but actually her parents were killed. In the, you know, her she never knew her mom, who was uh, an elf, and her father was killed in the last war. Yeah. Um, and so part of that was actually saying, so the community was extremely important to her because she was sort of raised by the community. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that resonates with, with uh, again, I, I, like to, I like to draw inspiration from real world mm-hmm. cultures where there are cultures where your community is your family. Those are your aunts. Those are your uncles because, yeah. you know, the village is raising that family. Yeah. And yeah. coming yeah. – Coming back to that point about how much of the war have you lived through is you have that much more chance for that. Right. Uh, of, you know, people having lost much and having to be supported by mm-hmm. the community. So to me, if I have a player exploring these things, that's an absolute give and take scenario of if I have the players a newborn who says, I just don't want to deal with this, then fine. I'll, I just won't bring it up if that's not a story they want to be part of. But basically, if someone says, oh, I want to have strong ties to a community and I want, you know, I do want, I'll give them some of my, my you know, share of my treasure. I will uh, help them. If, if you know, if I want to introduce some or core of our urchin who shows up and needs help, then that player is going to help them. Then I will at least I'll I'll counter that and and emphasize essentially that they get core of our hospitality, that they get, you know, those benefits uh, to reward them for investing. Do you see uh, someone who maybe a newborn mm-hmm. lost family mm-hmm. and then tried to sort of lock into a core of our community pretending yeah, to yeah, be I a core of our? I, well, I mean, that's the point is they don't have to pretend. I mean, there's two ways to look at it. The one way is you're saying, oh, they, they did pretend. It was very embarrassing to them and they wanted to pretend. And I think that's perfectly fine. The other way is to just say that they were taken in, yeah. even though they weren't part of the uh, family. As a child of Corvair, right. As in general, I think, you know, this comes back to the Unity Dinner. Mm-hmm. I don't think most Corvair will shun newborns. Right. You know, if the newborn will wants to be part of the community. Right. Now, if they don't want to be part, then that's, again, fine. I mean, you if know, anything, that, that strengthens the community because you're just right. building it larger. So Yeah, exactly. So I think normally, right. you know, again, if you just show up at a Unity Dinner and you're a, a newborn who knows nothing, I think most of them would welcome you and say, well, you know, thanks for joining us. Uh, I will say that this is a very strong base for just uh, a character with the folk hero background mm-hmm. is essentially – uh, folk hero, hey, you're an adventurer who your core of our community is proud of. They will offer you support. You know, you help them out in times of trouble. Now we're just saying, hey, and it turns out actually you've built a bigger reputation and everybody likes you. But I'm just saying, 
uh, I'd almost let let essentially the person have the benefits of folk hero for that narrow uh, community if they earn it, but that you could also be a folk hero and say that started. You know, my my core of our community is the nexus of that. But then I've just been so awesome that everybody likes me. No, well, it's good that we're not playing like second edition. You know, you know the the dangling thing is everybody is an orphan because you yeah. don't want to give the DM yeah. anything, any 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 family for you to affect or die yep. or kill yep. or kidnap. You know, now you got a whole community that the DM can can mess with. And, and this is <laughs> and this is the point to me is as a DM. The main point is, yes, that is absolutely true. I will have those orphans showing up needing help, and I will have the Borobar clan threatening to, to you know, buy the, the district out from under you. Uh, <laughs> but on the other hand, what I'm saying is I would also say, and if you want information, show up at the Unity Dinner. And if you want uh, all of these things that um, uh, that that I will – I will make it worth your while as well, mm-hmm. if you see what I'm saying. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Curveball. Anyhow. Most Corvar are changelings. I'm kidding. Well, you know, I mean, frankly, <laughs> All yes, of them. Duh. Every single one of them. <laughs> cool. Well, I think uh, we we covered a lot with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Any final thoughts at all? Or I'm good. I'm good, too. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for listening, and be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone, where you can find subscription links to our show, post comments on an episode, you can find links to our Twitter and Facebook pages as well, and whatever option you prefer, let us know what you think of the show. And join us next time as we get down to earth in the Moorholds. See what I did there? I see what you did. I see what you did. Very clever. <laughs> Truth be told, that was Keith's joke. He said it before we started recording. So. <laughs> That's right. I damn stole it. it. All right. All right. Until next time, keep exploring.